It's always a, a pleasure and an honor to, to serve with, with Pastor R and the staff and everybody that, that has been here. Um, we've, we just can't say enough, and, and I won't steal all the thunder that we're going to be talking about later on um, after the, the service. But I will say, if you, if you saw the, the table over there, there are 11 toppings for the, the waffles, 11. So it, it is going to be a celebration Sunday. And um, my, you know, what's so cool about this message today is it aligned perfectly. Last week, we talked about the elders who are the servant leaders of the church. This week is about uh, a section of scripture right after that that's for the deacons, okay? And they're the leading servants of the church. Um, and so it's perfect. Um, as, as I was putting together the message and the Lord was speaking to me through his word I just thought I just kept thinking of all the faces, all the people who have served diligently, and you know, just thinking about what type of church we are. Um, I, how many have been? How many of you have been in more than one church? That's probably an obvious. <laughs> there we go, everybody. Um, now, you know, our I, I think <laughs> this might be the only church. That, uh, I, I was telling them like the other day. I was like, thirty-seven years, thirty-seven years. I mean, you know, I think. Just that, that is a testament, 37 years in the same church, um, when the average pastor makes it for what, like six or seven years. So um, definitely my, my respect, and, and, and it's well-deserved. He is, you know, the, one of the drawing points of this church when I came here, I, I don't know if he remembers through the interview process, and, and Dan Haffey, you were there too, and I just kept asking everybody, the, around the, uh, you know, uh, we were at Outback, and I'm like, how, how many years until you retire? And I didn't mean that in the, in the, like, hurry up and leave. It was like, he's like, well, you know, about five years or so. And I was like, you're not going to leave before that, right? Because <laughs> I had studied him. I had listened to his sermons. He is a part of the fabric of this church um, and, and what we've become. And, and that heart of service that um, he spoke about is, is in the DNA of every one of us. Um, and I think of our youth program, um, they are all about uh, getting our youth serving, um, our children's programs. Um, in fact, this morning, my daughter just was like on cloud nine that she'll be over here handing out, um, uh, you know, sprinkles and different things. And, and my younger son said, well, but that means you can't eat until the end. She goes, but who cares? I get to serve. And I'm like, whoa, this is, this is amazing. So... We have a church family that's all about service. And so I want to tell you a little story. I know everybody likes uh, a little story to get you engaged here. Um, but it really reminded me of where we've been over the past two years and where we are now. So there's a story about a, a, small, uh, a small country. There was a, a band of minstrels. They would go around little towns and they'd, and they'd play music for a little bit of money. But times were hard. Inflation was up. Um, stock market was down. Um, times were, were tough. So people weren't really turning out, okay? So they had lower and lower attendance. Um, and they were, they were very discouraged. And the one night, they all got together before the performance. It was a couple hours. They prepped and, and got ready. And they, they sat around, and one of the guys said, you know... I don't know, should we maybe cancel? I think it's starting to snow. Nobody's going to come out tonight. We haven't had a lot of people here. Another guy said, yeah, you know, I don't know if we could play for just a few people. It just doesn't seem like it's fair. Um, why bother? 
maybe we should just cancel. And a third said, yeah, how can anybody expect us to do our best when only a few people come out? Um, and he turned over to, to another guy in, in, the, in the group, and this is an older man, and he said, what do you think? So the guy said, you know, I agree. It is, it's pretty discouraging. I'm, I'm pretty discouraged, too. But you know what? We have a responsibility for those that actually show up. We got to come in. We got to, you know, do our best because it's not the fault of the people who come that there are people that don't come. So we really need to do our best. And let's, let's, let's be encouraged. Let's give, this, let's give this our best, you know, best shot. So they got a little bit more encouraged. They went out and they, and they put on the best performance they could. They, they gave it their heart. And, and there were only a few people there. They knew they weren't going to have much to um, split between themselves. But they did their best. And when the show was over and the small audience was gone, um, a man uh, handed a note to the, to the same older gentleman that encouraged them to, to go on. And he, he read it and he got excited and he, and he brought the, the um, team together and he goes, hey, come here, come here. You guys got to come over here. You got to listen to this. So they were wondering what in the world, you know, you know, it didn't look like any better of a performance than another night. And he said, well, look at this note I got. And he, and he read it, and it said, thank you for the beautiful performance. But at the end, it was signed, your king. So they had completely been unaware that they were playing for the king, the king of their, their country. And you know, that's what it's like Right? That's what it's been like through the pandemic, through the restrictions, through COVID, and on again, off again, cleaning, um, you know, all the, the challenges, the fewer numbers, um, the fewer services, the fewer activities. It's been a little discouraging, but for each of us that showed up, for each of you that showed up and served and gave it your heart, you were doing it for the king. I hope you were. And, and that's, that, that's to be an encouragement for all of us, that we're playing or we're working for the king of kings. Um, and that's, that is something we need to take uh, very seriously. So let's turn to our scripture. I'm going to read over um, the section of scripture on, on the deacons. And because I'm standing between you and a waffle bar, I won't go over every verse in detail. But I, I, I want us to really hit... Um, some of the key components of this, of this scripture. And I want us to make sure we're, we're not just, you know, last week it was about the elders, and I think some of you might have gone, ooh, good, this is one of those services I don't really have to take any notes. I'm not an elder. Don't need to be qualified. Um, but here, even though um, this is about deacons, I'm going to explain to you why this is about all of us. So let's read. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not, uh, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And let deacons be, uh, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well, as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what exactly is a deacon? Um, has anybody been to a church that has an office or a role of deacon? 
Okay, so I don't see many hands, maybe like 40%. So depending on what type of church you were in, you either were maybe at a church that was um, ruled or, or overseen or led by a, a board of deacons. My, my brother's church up in Delaware is like that. They actually don't have the elder role, but they have a, a deacon board that runs the church. Um, some churches have no deacons, um, and in the truest biblical definition, um, that would be this church here. And then some churches are actually run by, uh, they, they basically say that anybody that serves in any capacity is a deacon. And in, in a sense, I'm going to show you how that's, that's also accurate. So why has, is there so much confusion? So before we get to like the practical application to yourself, I just want to kind of take us through uh, just a little bit of background. So the, the, first, the first part of confusion, I think, that, that happens with the term deacon is that it's, it's the, the Greek word for diakonos, which is the word for servant. So in a general sense, it, it just means a servant of the church in, in, in its usages um, in Scripture. And it's used over 30 times in the New Testament. But, but the interesting thing is, Paul is the only biblical writer to refer to it as an office. I mean, he only does that twice. And in fact, the first reference is in Philippians 1.1. He just briefly mentions the role alongside of the, the, the elder role. So he doesn't get into any detail. And then we have this section that I just read with, with a lot more detail. But, but the challenge is, because there's so few, little bit of information, uh, there's a lot of confusion about that role. And, and part of that is because he never actually lists what they do. He, does, he lists the qualifications, but unlike the role of elder, which there's a lot of information in the Bible, um, in the New Testament letters about what an elder does and what they're, they're supposed to be overseeing, um, he never once mentions anything specific to what the, the deacons do, although from the term we can assume they served, right? But other people look back at Acts um, 6, and they think that's probably the first reference to deacons, um, but the, the problem with that is that neither Luke, who was the writer of Acts, um, and, and Paul, neither of them actually refer to, to, the, to the seven as deacons, and it seems to have been a very specific need, a very specific situation, so it's, it's hard to just apply that universally to, to what Paul's talking about here. And then the last thing I just think that's a little interesting is when we go later on, we're going to move on um, in the pastoral epistles to the book of Titus. It's another one of the pastoral epistles. Um, we'll be there in a couple months. And in Titus, Paul wrote um, to a man named Titus who oversaw many churches in Crete. And he gives a ton of information again about elders. Um, he commands him to establish elders in all the little churches in Crete. But he never mentions the role of deacon. Not once. So People wonder, um, potentially that was because the churches that Titus was overseeing were smaller, and, and so they probably didn't have the need for that role. Um, so Paul, just in summary, seems to give a little bit of latitude about how to use um, different people in the church in leadership roles. Um, he's very specific that, that churches should have a board of elders overseeing the teaching of the flock, the care of the shepherd, protecting um, against false doctrine, leading the church. So that's a pretty bulletproof case. Um, however, how any local church really meets the needs of, of the service needs that come under the elders is a different story. Now, 
for churches that do have an actual official role of, of deacon as it's described here in scripture, they must be qualified. It's important to make sure that there's minimum requirements that are met. Um, but as you'll see shortly, those requirements really are, are just a call for all of us to, to um, stand up to our calling. Um, but here at this church, as I mentioned, we've got a wonderful uh, group of, of people that serve, uh, that have no title, people that are on staff. We have a care deacon ministry that meets the, um, the, the mercy and benevolence and prayer needs of our church, um, more of the physical needs. And then we also have um, those of you very qualified and um, skilled people who are um, our facilities team that, that really just, this is a big building and there's a lot that goes wrong. A lot of light bulbs, a lot of snow on the ground. <laughs> and, um, Chris knows all about that. Snow, snow shoveling in your shorts, that's my favorite. I mean, this man, he, he'll wear shorts in 20 below. But we have that team, and they serve well, and we're so thankful to have them. But before we feel like we're off the hook, that this is another one of those, I'm not in a deacon role, I don't have to worry about qualifications, and I can kind of tune out. Uh, don't, don't tune out too quickly. Um, a couple of things, as I mentioned about the, the word diakonos, it, it's used about 30 plus times. So the, the 28 or so times it's used beyond what we just mentioned. Um, it means servant. It means serving in the church generally. Uh, and in, unless this is your first time here and we would welcome you with waffles and uh, croissants and donuts, it, it, we, we know as believers and those who attend a church like this that we're all called to serve. We're all 100% of us, children, adults, old, young, you, you name it. So that's not something, um, you know, that we can delegate. That's not something that we can, uh, you know, check off the box and, and, and say that it's somebody else's job. So we're all to be called, all to be equipped. And in fact, First uh, Peter 4.10 says, as, as each has received a gift, and that's our spiritual gifts that, it, that we've been given, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, on this next slide, I, I want to read, um, I just found this really interesting in, in my um, study of the word diakonos, when you do like a word study through the Bible as you get context. Jesus in Matthew 20, uh, 25 through 28, was talking to his disciples, and he's, and he's explaining to them this upside-down economy of, of God's kingdom. He's trying to explain to them what, what it's like in God's kingdom. And he says in verse 25, But Jesus called to them and um, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And they, being in the, the Roman Empire, knew all about what that meant. It was definitely a top-down regime. But in verse 26, he says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, or diakonos. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Now, what, what's even more convicting, then, is what he says as he goes on in verse 28. He says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And, and that's where it really comes to light. Even the Son of Man, even our God, the God of the universe, the active part in creation, 
our, our Savior. He came to serve um, and to be an example for all of us. So we can see that if, if Jesus came to serve and we're his followers, it makes sense that we um, also would, would come to serve as well. We're called to serve, but it's one of those things that it's not a have to, but a get to. Because it's, it's, again, one of those crazy things where the more you serve, the more you grow, the more you experience joy, the more you uh, mature, the more you, you know, walk along your, your path in discipleship. And honestly, you will not experience uh, the joy of your salvation without serving others, and without giving of yourself. So when we think about the context that we are, really, we are all really servants of each other and we're servants of the Lord... Equally, uh, the qualifications that we're going to look at, I don't think you could um, look at one of them and say they don't apply to you. So I think we want to um, just walk through those qualifications um, just with the lens of just really diving into why they're important. And I'll talk through, um, again, I, I think, you know, the interesting thing is it, you, we don't get to sit in, in, the, you know, in the service and, and, and um, put on a participation-only hat. Um, you know, just because you're not in a role maybe of a, of a leader or leading a ministry or whatever, we're all, we're all equally called to be ministers. Um, so in order to serve well, we should live well. So let's look at the first verse. And just going to dissect that a little bit because uh, Paul in First um, Timothy 3.8, he says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And, you know, so it's interesting that he, he, he's going to really give us some simple qualifications. And I really feel like as each of us in this room, I don't care what, what age you are, um, what your circumstances are, these are, these are um, the easy ones, I think. These are the ones that we really need to make sure are buttoned up in our lives as believers. And first, he starts with dignified, and then he's going to talk about what dignified is. And it's worthy of respect, worthy of honor. It's not perfect, but it's dignified in the sense that um, having a good reputation. And that's not just internal, but external. Um, how many of you uh, would say that you like Chick-fil-A? All right, so there's a pretty good, I mean, there's a, there's a cult following of Chick-fil-A, let's be honest. Um, and, and I don't know, sometimes I wonder, is it the MSG that they put in the chicken or is it the waffle fries, which is their best seller? I don't get the waffle fries. It's like too much potato. Not, not for me. But everybody loves Chick-fil-A. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Deli well, there you go. It's delicious. Anyone else? Why, why do you love Chick-fil-A beyond the, the food? What they stand for. They're Christian. They treat their customers right. They have high standards, right? They have a good reputation. Well, the interesting thing is several years back, I remember someone, it was, we had a new Chick-fil-A in our, in our town um, back in Sykesville, Maryland, several, probably 10, 10, 12 years back. And I had a friend that actually got to go to the, like, the uh, ceremony for the manager. And it was an interesting experience because I was like, what's, what's this? I, I hadn't even eaten at Chick-fil-A until they opened there. I just, um, I know that's, that's kind of strange, but... Most of you know that I don't eat fried food very much. But, um, but the funny thing is he told me that at this banquet, a Chick-fil-A representative kind of had the ceremony, and, and he talked to the manager who was going to be the manager owner, and he said, 
Mr. Truett Cathy, who is the owner of Chick-fil-A, is a Christian. And he has established his corporation upon Christian principles. And then he said, you will become a representative of Chick-fil-A and of Mr. Cathy. And then he said, remember, his reputation is in your hands. And isn't that what it is to be a believer in this room? Um, you know, our, our Savior's reputation is in our hands to the people around us. So um, we have to take that seriously. And Paul explains this um, to the church in Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It's one of my favorite scriptures. I'll say it again. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And just read uh, with me if you'd like on your device or um, the old-fashioned Bible that has pages. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And praise the Lord for that. I, I, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's for every single one of us who are believers who have put our faith in Christ. And it gives us that opportunity that we don't have to live in the past. We don't have to live with our mistakes. But he goes on to explain, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And catch this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he, he gave us that ministry. And in verse 19 it says, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So then Paul uh, closes, closes this concept out in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of, uh, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And that's where I really feel like we need to take this role seriously. Our reputation is a direct representation of Christ to other people. It always is. You know that. People, what, what about the expression, the one that saddens me the most is that people say, you know, I, what, what disappoints the most about Christianity is Christians. That's sad. That's sad. Um, we can't be like this world. And I'll tell you, um, as a father of a teenager, a tweenager, and an almost tweenager, I, I will say this is a battle all the time. But everybody else does this. Everybody does this. Everybody talks like that. Everybody looks like that. Well, we're not everybody. And I tell my kids all the time, we're going to be freaks, guys. We're going to look stupid. We're going to be weird. We're going to be the only ones. And it's okay. I'll be there with you. But we have to. Um, it, it, especially in a, in a culture that we live in right now, the stakes are even higher. And, and you know, there's so much compromise. And our kids are bombarded constantly. And sometimes my daughter calls me out on preaching at dinner and I say, but you know what? The world had you for like 12 hours today. Can't I just have you for like 15 minutes and tell you some truth? But it's the truth. We are ambassadors, and we need to hand that off to our children well. We need to hand that off to the people we're discipling well. And that's what we're all about here. I, I hope you know that as you walk in the front door till the, you leave out the north lobby. We're all about discipleship. It's a tough process because it involves people. But it's important. So externally, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent him well 
around uh, other people that we, we come into contact. So that is the part where we all just kind of like silently in our brain, we think, well, ask yourself, what type of person are you in your external world? Do people know the gospel through your witness? And what do they think of, of Jesus because of, of who you are in your workplace, your neighborhood? Um, are you the last person to, to shovel your sidewalk in the neighborhood? That's not... <laughs> Is that, is that really showing that you care about others? No, I, I, I just really think about all the things we do at work. Are you the first one to go? Or are you the last one, um, you know, in every morning? Um, are you a hard worker? I mean, people really look at who we are and the character we, we um, have or, or show others. And then they, they, they look at the gospel and Jesus Christ through that lens. So if we're to give the gospel substance, if we're going to give it credibility, we must um, bring our best. And then here in the church, obviously, we're, we're a church family. And in, in these cases, especially where we take our, our uh, other set of rows out, this, this is like, you know, this is like forced family intimacy here. We're all spread, you know, we're, instead of being spread out, we're all in this little, little area here together, and we're going to celebrate together. But think about if we asked people to write down on a piece of paper which family member you are, and we did this anonymously, which one do you think you'd be? Would you be the, uh, the mean old uncle? <laughs> would you be the uh, kind grandmother? Or would you be the sleepy uh, grandfather? I see you back there. No. <laughs> Just kidding. But remember, we all have a reputation. We all have a reputation of some kind. It just matters which type of reputation it is. So then, as we said, Paul gets into the next part of the verse, um, but he talks about three sins that can really plague your ministry and your service, and, and they're detrimental to our church um, always. Like, this is, these are the things that, that are unfortunately normally prevalent w within a congregation, and the first is, he says, not to be double-tongued. And this whole week, I kept saying to R and others, I said, I want to be a single-tongued man, just a single-tongued man. And, you know, the, the concept of double-tongued is really just somebody that says whatever they think everybody wants to hear. They'll say one thing to one person. They'll go over to another person. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. That's great. But they're saying the exact opposite. It, it's a duplicity of speech, and it's very common in churches and in our world, but unfortunately, I think in churches, because we want to show grace, or we want to, you know, get along with everyone, or we, you know, don't want any conflict, and there is no such thing as little white lies or exaggerations in God's, in God's economy and his kingdom. In Proverbs 12, uh, 22, it says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And we know verses like Ephesians 4, where um, Paul spoke about us being part of a family, and he actually explains that honesty is part of the, the maturing and the, and the growing up process for a whole church family. There's a collective goal that we're reaching by, by speaking truth. He says in uh, Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, the second thing he says... I think everybody reads this one a little differently. 
to not be addicted to much wine. Okay. I saw a couple beer drinkers out there, like, just go, <laughs> I'm fine with that. And I, and I know a couple of you swear that you've never found the uh, label much wine on the, on the shelf. So as long as it's not the much wine, you're fine. I'm addicted to other types of wine, just not much wine. Um, no, this, let's get the point here. It's not a prohibition against alcohol. We know that, you know, I think most of us know that it, it, it's not. But we can't miss the point that it is a warning and an admonition against addiction. It's a broader sense, okay? Addiction of any kind. Um, in fact, I love um, Ephesians 5.18 in the New Living Translation says, Do not get drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this is really just explaining that addictions of any kind pull you away from being controlled by the Spirit. When you're controlled by another thing, alcohol, food, exercise. Like some people are addicted to exercise and can't, you know, can't uh, focus on anything else. Some people put good things ahead of uh, their family and, and other things that, that are more important. So really this is things that will ruin your ministry or uh, get in the way of living a life for the Lord, um, in, controlled by the Spirit. So you have to really just each individually search your heart. I know there are a lot of good things that can be used badly. There are a lot of bad things that um, become addictions. And we just need to look at just a quick, quick survey, I think, of your life. Are there things that are running your life, controlling your life, ruining your life and relationships, um, or impairing your judgment or your walk with the Lord? I think those are things are, that are obvious. They're, they're the obvious things that need to go. And... I think the more we search, there are some that are really glaring problems, but there are some, you know, we're, God made us to be habit people, right? He, he's, he's created um, us to want a, a routine or want um, to find comfort in different things, and that's not a bad thing, but um, we, we really have to look at what is, um, you know, just hindering you from, from living the life that God really has called you to. And then the last of these three not be greedy for dishonest gain. And I, I think just more on the broader sense, this isn't just money. This is just the general um, principle of life. You, you have to be more concerned about giving than getting. You know, to be more generous with your time, with your talents, with your possessions. Um, I think it's easy to see, you know, greed from a standpoint of, of money, but it's really also where's your heart? Are you, you know, is your heart in serving others? Um, and I, I think of the verse um, Acts 20, uh, 33 through 35. Now, this is actually kind of a, a monologue from Paul to the church in Ephesus when he was visiting there in one of his journeys that Luke records in Acts. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you know yourselves that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I just think in all ways of life, I think, you know, your time, your money, 
the, the, the cure for greediness and stinginess is generosity. Um, and it will, it will take time for some people, but you know, one of the best ways to be a generous person is to serve. And I think of all the people who spend so much time serving here, giving their heart, and it's just, it's a blessing to me and it's an encouragement to me. Now, the last one I really quickly want to just go through is he, spe- he spends a little time saying in verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And, and really what this means, again, it's, an, it's, it's something for each of us. We're to all practice what we preach. We're supposed to know our word. It, you know, it's not just Pastor R or any of the Bible teachers, Tim, um, you know, Brian, just it, it's not Paul McHugh who has to, uh, you know, study the word so that he teaches his, his Tuesday night class. It's each one of us have the word of God. We need to read it and then we need to apply it. It needs to be part of our lives. It needs to be an active part of our lives. And our children need to see faith in action. And that's really what Paul's saying here when he says with, um, you know, to hold uh, to the mystery of the faith. Um, it, it's an important thing. And the other part, though, I don't want to miss and just lump it in with the rest of the verse. It's where he says, with a clear conscience. And the important thing about a clear conscience, I think we all know, and it's a God-given thing to believers and unbelievers, and we use it however we want. But the important thing for a believer is to have a clear conscience that is driven and, and, um, and uh, controlled by the Spirit. So it's not, I'm not saying here, and neither is Paul, that we have to be perfect, that we haven't sinned, but it, it's, it's meaning to not have a stubborn sin, um, just to not have a rebellious heart about something, but to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. In fact, every morning for my devotions, the very first prayer that I pray is for the Lord to search my heart with his Holy Spirit and just reveal any unconfessed sin, anything that I forgot to, to pray anything I forgot to bring before him. And I do that in first thing in the morning, last thing at night, um, because we need to keep short accounts with the Lord and with other people. And that's extremely important. And in fact, I, I think of, when you think of folks that have been raised in the Catholic faith who, who go through uh, confession and they go to a priest and so on, there's a confusion about, I think, in the Christian body in general about what confession's all about. And it's not so that you become um, forgiven, because if, if you're a believer, you every single sin that you have committed was, was future tense to Jesus Christ when he, he died for that on the cross. So you've already been forgiven for every sin. But we confess in an acknowledgement um, and an agreement with the Lord that sin is sin, and that it's important to rid ourselves of that and to allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us. And that's also important in our relationship. So this, free, this clear conscience that Paul talks about is, is hugely important, especially in the church, that we live like that. Um, I think of, you know, how many relationships do you need to, to mend? Is there an apology that needs to be made? Because you cannot have victory and you cannot have freedom and peace without having a clear conscience before the Lord. That's important. And God even wired us physically that way, didn't he? Think about it. I, I actually read something, and I'm going to have to speak to a few folks that are doctors in the room, but 
I read this a couple in a couple places. Something, some say 75%, some say 90%, somewhere in between there. Um, of doctors' visits to primary care physicians are stress-related illnesses. Isn't that strange? Like 75 to 90% are stress-related. Now, you take that large amount of doctor's visits and you think, well, what percentage of those are due to guilt, um, unclear, unclear conscience, um, you know, just having bad um, blood between people, bad relationships. You think about how that leads to physical uh, or psychosomatic symptoms sometimes. And, and in these cases, in those cases specifically, it's a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual remedy. And, and that's why, uh, you know, the word is truth. That's why it's so important. And, it, and you know, we, we even see in James, you know, there are times when folks are sick because of sin um, and an unclear conscience. And there's importance to, to confessing sin one to another and to the Lord. And so we need to remember that that victorious life can only be um, claimed through a clear conscience. Um, and Paul, you know, says it, I love how he just simply puts things um, in, in uh, Romans 14. He's talking about bearing with the weaker brother and how to interact with each other. And in verses 22 through 23, he says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, again, you know, when we think of the song, you know, peace, peace be still, peace over me, that peace can only come with a clear conscience. So, those are just a few of of the challenges, of the encouragements I can give you today about why it's so important to qualify yourself, um, to serve well, to live well. But the cool thing is, you know, God is a God of rewards. And I'm going to briefly explain, and it's only one verse, so it's really simple. In in verse 13, Paul speaks about the benefits of serving well. And and he doesn't go on in great detail, but I wanted to just highlight a couple points. He says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good uh, good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so for, for those who serve well, and I, th- I look around the room, and, you know, whether you're in a leadership role or not, I'm looking at the people who serve well, and you've gained a really good standing before me, before others in this room. And, and so a good name is so important, especially for those of us that are believers. I like the, the verse Proverbs 21.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And, and it's important because a good reputation, as we said before, um, brings glory to your Father in heaven. But it also builds, on just a practical level, right, it builds trust with people. People trust you when, you, when they see that you're honorable, that you have a good name, a good standing. Um, they know they can rely on you. And when you lose that trust, isn't it so hard to get back? I think of even as, as a parent when you see you know, your children struggle in an area, it's hard for you to trust them in that area, and you, you immediately are a little harder on them in those situations. But also, a good reputation is eternal. 
And not just in a sense that when we get to heaven, there's rewards. But when you leave this earth, and we all will, that's a given, what's your reputation? And it's not for you, but what is the legacy you leave behind? What's the character that your children um, go on to, to carry forward because of your example? Um, what do people think when you, when you leave? Um, what have you left behind as far as not just money, but what have you left behind as far as what, what you've accomplished? I, I went to, this was one of those things where I went to my um, aunt's funeral. She died very young. Um, she wasn't even 50. And it was a huge turnout. It was a very, very uh, emotional service. And the words that were said, the number of people that had cards that she wrote, and just talking about how she served them, how she loved them, how she walked alongside of them. It, it was such a, um, a convicting experience for me that do I invest in relationships like she did? Um, and I, in fact, I had a, a boss who passed away again right around 50, and I, I was really close with him. And toward the end, um, he used to tell me, John, it's all about the relationship. Invest in the relationship. And he meant that not only, you know, our relationship with God, but with others. That's really all that matters when we leave this world behind. So it's important to have a good reputation and good, good relationships. But even more so, you know, in the second part of that, Paul's really speaking to, and I mentioned this before, if you're serving well, if you're serving others, you're using your spiritual gifts, your spirit comes alive within you. And you have an assurance and, a, and just a solid, rock-solid confidence in your faith that you can't have any other way from, you know, from, from uh, getting involved and, and being someone who's invested and faithfully exercising your gifts. And then the last thing I just add in here, and, and it just is one of those, um, you know, one of my favorite parables. I got to preach on it years ago. And it's the eternal aspect of the rewards we get. And Everyone knows the, the parable of, of the, the talents, right? And the servants who served well and those who didn't. And, you know, the well done, good and faithful servant that, that uh, the, the first two servants got. And just the importance of the point that, you know, what you do here on earth, when you die, it stops. Your, your opportunity for growth stops. It's what you accomplish here on earth is the capacity for which you serve um, and, and, and serve the, the, our glorious Lord in heaven. So it's what we do here is the training ground because we're all going to be perfect when we get to heaven. So it's really an important thing that we steward well what we've been given. And, and Paul says it best, and I'm going to close with this. Paul says, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But I'm so glad that he said the second part of this, because I think of Paul as like one of the exemplars, right? You know, everybody loves the Apostle Paul. But what did he say? So he says that the Lord will give him the crown of righteousness, but then he goes on to say, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's each and every one of us. That's each person we're going to be celebrating after the service. That's each of you that, that put forward um, that, that 
that selfless sacrifice, that humble service, and the Lord himself will give us the crown of righteousness. Um, so that is our calling. That's our encouragement. Um, again, remember, those of us that want to be great in God's kingdom must serve. And I, and I know that you all have the heart uh, for service. So let's pray before we get to celebrate that. Lord God, thank you so much for just who you are. You're our great and, and gracious Father. Just thank you for um, sending your Son, your one and only begotten Son, the active hand of creation, and he came to give us this supreme example to serve others, to give of ourselves, to do it all for you, Lord. Not because of what we get out of it, but just because of how close we can be to you, Lord, when we're serving, when we're meeting the needs of those around us, when we slow down enough to, to come alongside of someone, to bring them a meal, give them a hug, we serve those who need, and we serve those who don't expect it. I just think of all the, the times that I've been served here at this church and how humble I am for being part of this church family. I just thank you for the countless hours, countless hours that, goes, that go into preparing for just a wonderful worship time so that we can bring you glory, Lord. For, the, for all the time and attention and, and legs and hands and feet that went into um, getting our celebration service set up and um, just so that we can bring you glory. Lord, this is your celebration. This is your celebration. And we thank you. I thank you so much for being so faithful. Um, you are faithful to us. You have guided us over this past two years. You have encouraged us in the stormiest and most depressing times you have encouraged us. I just, uh, just praise you more when we think of all that you accomplished. Uh, we weren't sitting still here, Lord. We were moving forward. We were just following you, um, just listening to your voice, preparing for uh, the great work you have ahead. And, and in always in times and seasons of, of, of cold, of... of um, freeze and uh, times of pause, we know that it's just an opportunity for you to build us up, to encourage us and to strengthen us. And we just ask that, that, that this be one of those times when you really uh, light a fire and um, just give us an opportunity to serve you so well, to uh, just make disciples who live and love like you and who go out into their community and their, and their, um, their workplaces and just live up to the name of, uh, of, of Christ, to be ambassadors for you, Lord, and we just thank you. Just ask that you bless this time and uh, all that's gone into it. Amen.